U.S. Senate Republican and Democratic primaries are less than two months away, and the eight candidates in the running must bear down to lock away votes in those competitive primaries. The incumbent, Kansas Republican U.S. Senator Jerry Moran, is a known commodity, but the six Democrats in the contest are still introducing themselves to the electorate. Among those individuals is Paul Buskirk, a University of Kansas academic administrator in the university's athletic program. Mr. Buskirk is making his first dive into elective politics and is with the Kansas Reflector today to talk about himself, his candidacy, and what he'd like to do for Kansans. Welcome. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. appreciate that very much. No, thank you for being here. It's our pleasure. Uh, so this will be a good introduction for the voters out there to learn more about you. So the first question, the obvious question, is why are you running? So I have to tell you a story <clears throat> involved in the process. And the story, I've been in, uh, in public service with education now for the past 33 years. And I come from a family that's very much involved in service, pastors, teachers, nurses, doctors, grandparents, parents, the whole thing. <clears throat> and then there's me as the, the academic support program director here for, for Kansas Athletics, 33 years. <clears throat> and then 16 years ago, <clears throat> that's how all this story begins, 16 years ago, I believed that I had perhaps a, a calling or a desire or a need to be able to move into a larger role of public service. At that point, I actually envisioned that maybe I needed to run for the office of Kansas governor. <laughs> so I sounded that out with a handful of close friends and individuals. I got a variety of responses, as, as one might guess. Some were incredulous, some were, wow, that's marvelous, and didn't let it go too far. And then, again, 16 years ago, this is when Kathleen Sebelius was running for re-election okay. in the governor's role. And it was about middle of May, and I'm sitting on the back deck. My, my wife and two daughters were out in California, which is where they have extended family. So I got on the phone with my wife, because she and I had not had this chat before. And I said, Lauren, I said, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And there was this long pause on the other end of the phone. <clears throat> <laughs> the type of pause that when you call and ask someone for a date is the kiss of death, right? Yeah. And she said, Paul, I just love Kathleen Sebelius. Ah. I, I don't think I could vote for you. <laughs> and that campaign fizzled and crashed and burned very quickly. Yeah, when you lose that one vote. The that, one vote. That could be bad. That, that, yes. It's that, not that, a good that was not sign. a good day. Uh, fast forward 16 years. So to answer your question, contemporaries, why this, why now? That, that yearning, that need, that desire to be able to do something on a larger platform with a larger voice has always been there. It's been hard to silence in, in, in many cases. And, and I love what I do with our students right now. They're fabulous individuals, but there's something more. And the reason the timing for this is, is very personal. Uh, my mother passed away about two months ago after a long life. Uh, she was almost 93 years old. <clears throat> she would say that she had a fabulous life, that she had wonderful children. Well, for me, I'm not so much, but for the others, we're fine. Well, everybody needs a black sheet. Yeah, I've got to serve the purpose someplace. Yeah. And I think she would have supported me if I decided to move ahead when she was still with us. But I think she would have been fearful for me, anxious for me. And it didn't seem at 92 years old that that was necessary to be able to put that burden on her. So... That's half of the story of why I'm running now. The other half is because the world took a little change and turn on May 2nd. And that's when we understood that the Supreme Court uh, was leaking out its initial majority opinion on what could be the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. 
and that's something that, that I hope we can talk about a little bit more. Certainly, but it was, it was sure. the combination of two of those things that, that gave me the assurance that this is what I needed to do right now. Yeah, I think people are interested in why people are drawn to public service. And there's a lot of voters out, out there that on both sides of the abortion issue that are concerned about Roe. There, there's an issue with the constitutional amendment on the August 2nd ballot as well. Yes. And then uh, depending on what happens there, the Kansas legislature taking a different action in terms of uh, abortion rights in Kansas. So you, 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 you started there. Let's just start with abortion. That's a priority. Uh, why don't you kind of explain your thinking about abortion rights? Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we'll fast forward. I'm going to vote no on the Kansas amendment on August 2nd. It has so many pieces and dimensions to it. Let me try to summarize what that is. Sorry. The Kansas Supreme, Kansas Supreme Court found in the Constitution's Bill of Rights the uh, right to abortion, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and bodily autonomy, so women can choose to have an abortion if they see fit. That's a Kansas constitutional provision that the court found. The amendment would essentially reject the Kansas Supreme Court's finding and reaffirm that the Kansas legislature gets to decide what uh, constitutes abortion in Kansas. Wonderfully stated. Okay. You've had practice. That's just the background. I'll do all the footnotes. You keep going. No, I like that. I like that. I will vote no. And at a very personal aspect, it's always personal, personal, is government has enough intrusion in our lives that to take away another right is just ludicrous. But let's expound here a little bit, because this is one, again, very personal and what brought me into this campaign. Uh, for those who can't see me in the moment, so you have to picture that we have two groups of people. We have a group over in my right hand, really good people, fabulous people, and they believe fervently in something that is impassioned to them, personal to them, and they will, they will staunchly defend their understanding and their purpose. And they cannot, and then in my left hand are a bunch of other good people who are impassioned, who are fervent in their belief systems. Now, the people in my right hand, good people, cannot understand what the people in my left hand are talking about. They can't, they don't want to. And the people in my left hand, always good people as well, cannot understand the people in my right hand. And at this particular issue, which I believe has been an issue, which has been an issue for the past 100 years, more fervently perhaps in the last 50 with the Supreme Court and the Roe v. Wade, mm -hmm. and regardless of what happens on August 2nd in Kansas, whether that amendment passes, it will continue to be an issue that's going to be culturally divisive in Kansas and beyond. I'm not here to persuade anyone to change the right hand to the left hand or the left hand to the right hand. That's a personal decision. I get that. I have my own. What is lost in every debate in this very personal and passion that gets into such emotions in the process and finger pointing and hatred is the voice in the middle that's lost. And that's the children, the children who are born or who will be born. I'm not talking about the unborn, the children who are already born or will be born in the process. We don't think enough about them. Think about the young woman or middle woman, any age woman, who is passionately ready to receive a child and bring that child into the world and their family has tremendous support for that individual and the child is born and there's wonderful love and the chances of that child raising into a wonderful young person and adult are really good, really good, because every child is born good. Right? Then we have another woman 
who chooses to, to bear the child for a variety of reasons. Perhaps she felt like she had to because the law said so, or because she was persuaded to. I mean, it doesn't matter. Now the child is born, but maybe the mother is not prepared to be able to care for that child. Maybe she didn't really want the child in the process. What happens in the middle? There's such tremendous need for us to talk more about adoptions, services. There's so much more for us to talk about the the, the need for improved foster care services. And I'm just beginning to learn what I don't know on some of those topics. I really am. We can, you can ask me more questions. But what I'm hopeful for, Tim, is that and what my voice in a larger platform is to be the voice of those that have no voice or very little voice in those children, whether it's the infant, the toddler, the, the teenager that have no voice. So that my hope is, is that every time that right hand and that left hand are having this massive impassioned, sometimes horrible debate in the process, that they would pause for a moment and say, okay, what about the children who are already here? How can we help? And that's why I'm running, that to be the voice for those that have little or no voice for themselves. Yeah, there's a wide political chasm there, but there's obviously uh, many, many adults in Kansas that are in the middle somewhere. They might support uh, choice as a legal option, but also want regulation of that. And then, of course, we know Kansas has had real struggles with foster care and not enough adoptive uh, families available to those kids. So those are those are big obstacles. If you got if you can snap your fingers and solve that, you can probably can get directly elected to the United States Senate. You know. So let's turn to other issues. Also, kids. Let's talk about school violence. And and if you're in the United States Senate, what would you advocate for? We've got kids dying in schools because these buildings just seem to be a magnet for crazy people uh, with firearms. So something needs to be done to save the kids. I don't know exactly what the answer is. There's a constitution to look at as well. I certainly don't have answers for everything. And my voice is not broad enough or even smart enough. I have to remember that I'm only, you know, I'm reminded at home every day about my limitations and what I can and can't do. Yeah. my hope would be that at least two elements that we, play, that we, we, we pay attention to <clears throat> with any child process. Mental wellness is a tremendous challenge in every level of childhood and young adulthood right now. And I saw that even more clearly in COVID with my role with young adults in higher education. <laughs> There's stress to start with, but then we created this, this crisis crushing element of stress that really cause tremendous pressures on students, and they make choices that they would otherwise not make. So to say that the solution to school violence is to have only more mental health services would be a little incomplete. But Mm -hmm. we've got to to throw that out would also be incomplete. So I would hope that that mental wellness is part of what I already talked about in the sense of the voice for the children. That's part of it. Yeah, it's addressing maybe uh, the, well, certainly it looks at the people that perhaps have the potential for violence and maybe addressing that earlier so that they're deterred. You know, there's another element on the backside of this that I think I believe that the teachers and the students who witness or around this kind of violence suffer greatly going forward. And I think it has decades long implications for those kids, for the survivors. And I think there's a mental health part of this that's upfront and on the back end uh, of, of whatever, whatever we do in terms of all this school violence. I just wonder if the United States Senate is capable 
of putting their foot down and stopping the bloodshed? I don't know. I don't know. And certainly my ideas are not new. Well, that's, I should, we should start the conversation with that. I'm not sure there's any such thing as really a new idea. We just kind of recycle them over and over, and sometimes they're timely and sometimes not so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, on the firearm side, I'm not mm-hmm. here to try and convince anyone that the Second Amendment's going to go away. But, Certainly not going to happen. No. But it seems to me a couple of things are kind of common sense. At least they are to me, maybe not to everybody else. So... First thought is we think about the, the founders back in 1787 and these, these individuals who were, we see them as so smart, so bright. And you know what? I hope they are. I hope they were. <clears throat> and they're trying to write something that would carry us on for the next 250 years or beyond. So they, they wrote this thing, right? And then they, they sent it out to the, to, the, to the colonies for ratification. And the colonies pushed back immediately, right? Because they didn't have the Bill of Rights to start with. It was just the Constitution by itself. And they said, there's no way we're signing this without protecting individual rights. So Second Amendment becomes part of that, which Mm -hmm. made perfect sense back in 1787, right? So what did a gun look like in 1787? It was a long gun that had one tube in it. You had to pour in the powder. You'd push the stick down with a little cloth in it to pack it in. You put in the pellet, you turn it, and you fire it. One shot. And then you have to reload it and do it again, So I'm not sure our founders envisioned weapons the way that we see weapons today. <clears throat> and I don't think that the common sense founders would have any problem saying, you want to buy a gun? Cool. Extend the background time on the checks. Why not? <clears throat> Give it a few days, check into it. And I'm pretty sure same founders would say that if someone's found to have some mental wellness issues, I'm not sure they want them carrying a gun. So mm-hmm. very, some common sense. I know other folks don't see it that way, but I think we could at least start. These, a lot of candidates running for federal office certainly are going to look at inflation and something, it's an economic thing that touches everybody's household. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they do look for government for perhaps some assistance. And they certainly blame the government when inflation runs out of control. Are there ways that a member of the United States Senate can, can help families deal with, with this economic reality? Great question. Um, I will uh, share with you a mantra that I've adopted here in the last number of months. <clears throat> number one is, wherever possible, look for an easy button. Rarely can you find one, but always look for it. Right? And the number two is, if there are those that have expertise in a particular area, days, weeks, months, years in something... Why would I choose to reinvent something today when I should be talking to the people that have done this for decades and have the, have the com- not common sense, but the intuition to be able to say, this is what we should do. <clears throat> Tim, I am not an economist. <clears throat> I'm not going to try and persuade you that I am. I thought it was interesting that Biden specifically gave his endorsement to the Fed and said, and the independence of the Fed that says, okay, this is yours. You know, don't screw it up, but this is yours to try and be able to rebalance. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard thing even for the Fed. Uh, they're probably saying thanks a lot, President Biden. Probably but, so. Uh, to, to work in an economy this large in a global platform, it's just a it's struggle. Then you have these wild cards like a, a conflict in Ukraine, and now the energy sector is all upside down on a, in a global way. What, what do you think about the United States has put billions of dollars into military hardware and and uh, humanitarian assistance into Ukraine. What, what's kind of your gut sense of that conflict? I'm not qualified to be able to speak on the, on the behalf of the people of Ukraine, certainly the very least. Uh, 
What do we think about a big, powerful country just invading another country because they want to own it? Well, that's the one. That's the one that should be the head-scratcher for most anybody, those that don't care or maybe just don't spend as much time with it. Think, well, and I th believe that we, could, we can be fearful that if it happens there and there isn't a pushback somewhere within the rest of the free world, then mm -hmm. it's going to happen someplace else. So, mm -hmm. and it's been interesting to watch Ukraine fight back. <clears throat> I, I didn't expect that. I thought it would have folded within a month, clearly, with me having no expertise on, on global warfare whatsoever. So it's really interesting to see and read what's happening back then in Russia as well, where there's been pushback on a, on a more public level and some smaller... Uh, officials <clears throat> not lining up with the party <clears throat> with the party in terms of some of those decisions so I, I don't know but I'm hopeful yeah it's sort of like the United States deciding well we really like that Canada country uh, let's just try to take it you know it, it makes about as much sense to me so all right Ukraine uh, you know another thing that came up in the last election cycle and it's coming up again is election fraud and security you know, do you have confidence that the votes are being counted? Uh, are you going to be worried that all your votes in the U.S. Senate race aren't going to be counted right? I have no concerns. <clears throat> no concerns. And some folks would say it's a, it's a full circle if you don't have fair elections and you can't defend the election process. And, and that, that does make some sense. Here's where I get, uh, I'm puzzled on occasion, is when we've, we're born into this democracy and we have all the rights that are protected by it. But then when it doesn't do something the way that we want it to do, we fuss about it. And all of a sudden, it's screwed up. <clears throat> but when it does things the exact way that we want it to do, then, well, we defend it to, to the end. Um, just as uh, uh, speaking to a colleague here of late, kind of off topic here, was really concerned about the Kansas Supreme Court's decision to uphold the legislature's redrawing of the Kansas House districts. Yeah, the U.S. House East, districts. U.S. House districts, yeah. right. Which specifically puts the city of Lawrence, where I'm from, mm -hmm. now into the Big First, where it had been over in the... Yeah, third. Lawrence. Yeah. We're, we're now in the same congressional district as Dodge yes. City. Yeah, exactly. Liberal Kansas. And, uh, and I don't mean Lawrence liberal. I mean li liberal well, Kansas the, the in city. southwest yeah. corner of the state. Yeah. And then the other change in the congressional map was they carved uh, Wyandotte County in half, in half and threw the northern half into the second congressional district, a more rural, more Republican district. Right. So, so I, And I use this as an example because I found it fascinating to watch because the the the. Um, folks that, that sued right, against the, the legislature said, well, it's gerrymandering, it's discriminatory, all those things, which it may very well be. And then mm -hmm. the, the state or the district court sided with them and said, you're right, then threw it up to the Supreme Court. But reading the arguments in between was where I thought that was most interesting because the argument for it was there's nothing in the language of the Kansas Constitution that says the legislature can't do what they want to. Right. <clears throat> Basically, gerrymandering for political purposes legal. Is legal. Is legal. Yeah. Now, I don't like that process. Yeah. I don't. But I also, if I don't like something, then it's my job to go and find enough people who are like-minded to be able to then gather together and change the law or change the Constitution to do things the way we want to. So for those who bellyache because they lost, then go and find some like-minded folks who want to help change the process, and then maybe you can win. Yeah, you're suggesting that some of the voters who didn't like the outcome of the presidential election, were uh, loss of Donald Trump to Biden, were particularly keen to declare election fraud. Uh, the, the irony of that is I keep asking Kansas political people who got elected in the last election cycle, and none of them seems to think the vote 
uh, was fraudulent in a way that cost them the race. Not in Kansas. Yeah. Not in Kansas yeah. do we have a problem. Yeah. Funny it how must that works. be elsewhere. Yeah. You know, the COVID, you mentioned COVID-19 and college students and the stress that it put on uh, those individuals. Yeah, COVID-19 has been a nightmare, you know. Thousands of Kansans are dead, a million Americans. It's uh, been a contributing factor to their deaths. What do you th- what do you think about the government's response to COVID-19? Was it uh, full of government overreach, or was it just people trying to do the best they can in an, in an emergency, a public health emergency? My grandparents lived through the 1918 Spanish flu. In fact, mm. my grandfather served in World War I and was over in Europe during that particular time. And growing up as a kid, of course, they, they're long gone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they never talked about that particular time. I didn't even know it had happened. And I wish I could have asked them what their experiences were like, because there's so many comparisons now, well, after the fact, when our hindsight is so clear, hey, we could have seen this, we could have seen this. Um, My vision is so tunnel in terms of what we had to do, what our students had to do, what our communities had to do, with what knowledge we had, which was minimal <clears throat> and looking for heroes where they're, they certainly emerged and the, mm-hmm. the inventors of the vaccines that push things through mm-hmm. so quickly. The frustration is what perhaps others would, would share is when there's a, a doctor, I mean, a doctor that truly is interested in the public health tells you that something is safe, then why would you not do it? <clears throat> but I understand that's not how everybody looks at, looks at things. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are people that definitely placed their liberty interests ahead of what their uh, local doctor was telling them. Did, and uh, I, that's, that's one where I'd like to try and understand better, but if you're trying mm-hmm. to help us all be safe, we all have to take some sacrifices I've asked together. many people this particular question, and it's hard to get an answer that I guess I'm hard to satisfy on this one, you know? And it got to the point where I started asking politicians, when is it going to be patriotic for you to take the vaccine? Hmm. If you're looking at something... Uh, it commu- that, that benefits the community like the greatest generation would have done mm. uh, from World War II era, you know. And so I still didn't get a satisfactory answer to my concerns. Government overreach, do you think, you know, best, best in- intentions but went too far? History will judge us better than any, anybody else. I mm-hmm. think it's the obligation of government to be intrusive when the welfare of the people are in danger. I think that's the role we'd, we'd expect them to do. You know, save us, help us, guide us on what we need to do. Maybe not always perfect, but do not sit back and do nothing. Yeah, and I'm going to risk here to asking a question that you may not have much expertise in. Uh, not many people do, but Kansas is an agriculture state. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that you would represent that live on farms and ranches. And uh, I don't know if you have any particular affinity for a certain type of livestock. Uh, you know, or you just love hogs or, you know, there's nothing better than a dairy cow in the backyard. Not sure. Uh, but do you have any thoughts about agriculture and the agriculture economy and so forth? Well, it's not lost in me that the, the engines of the state are agriculture and aviation and oil and gas and education and industry and all, all sorts of things that things I don't know enough about. And I, I would go back to my mantra of go and work with the experts who already know something. Why should I go and and reinvent? I need to be able to trust the people that it's affected directly. Mm. Um, My my hands-on experience is growing up as a kid in Holdridge, Nebraska, 
5,000 is the county seat. My best friend lived across the street, and his father was a crop adjuster. Mm -hmm. So we'd go out with him into the fields from across the county, and we certainly saw a lot of the cows and the pigs and and all those (laughs) and 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 all the... All the crops, do I know how to grow them? I do not. Do I know how to raise them? I do not. Do I value the economy and the people whose livelihood is that? And they were born in that realm and cherish that? That much I do. Um, as part of my journey this next two months, it is my plan, and I've started making, I've set those up, to get across the state as best I possibly can to be in front of as many people that want to tell me their stories and be able to uh, be willing to listen to mine. If you get some fancy cowboy boots and go out there in cattle country, you might want to step in a couple of uh, yeah. circular green piles to break those in. <laughs> uh, you, you want them to look right when you meet people. You brought up Nebraska. Tell us a little bit about yourself growing up. What was it like? What were your parents like? You know, was it? Oh. You, tell me about the little town. Yeah, uh, Holdridge, five thousand. Uh, Dad was a preacher. Mom was a teacher. <clears throat> I'm the third child here. Elder sister, elder brother. Sister had passed away, <clears throat> and lived there for about nine years. It was the perfect little town to, to grow up. Whereabouts in the state are we talking about? Just about south central. <clears throat> okay. Here, if those that know the the neighborhood near Kearney near Hastings. Uh-huh. Uh, at age nine, we moved to Grand Junction, Colorado. We had on the western side, spent six mm-hmm. years there, end of elementary into middle school, and then moved to Derby, <clears throat> Kansas, just south of Wichita. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad's job had taken us there. Finished so what off. age would you have been when you moved to Kansas? Straight into high school, 10th grade. Okay. <clears throat> 10th grade. <clears throat> and certainly formative years for me there is the Derby Fighting Panthers. Uh, the Fighting Panthers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course and they are. It's right. And then uh, graduated from Derby High School, considered a couple of different schools, ended up coming straight to University of Kansas. Um, I did, expected to be there for about four years, and then I'd move on to something else, and I just never really managed to leave. Your college degrees at KU, RN? And uh, bachelor's in psychology and master's in counseling psychology. So you can pretty much just look at a guy and figure him out, right? You uh, can just I'm, read them and you can, you can tell if I'm being serious or silly. Uh, I, I can't play poker with you. <clears throat> we definitely don't want to play poker because I'll be the one losing. <clears throat> no, I, I believe I am actually the worst poker player on the planet. I can't seem to follow the rules of the game. Like everybody expects me to do something, <laughs> but I'm not paying attention, so I don't. Uh, so now my my wife is the psychologist of the family, so I stay in my lane. Okay, good. All right. So you went to college, KU, would, and and you got a master's degree. Master's degree, and then and my my journey into my current role, which is involved in academic support for students, um, took a turn when I was in graduate school, and there was an opportunity for a position as a graduate assistant in what we would now call the provost office. It was mm-hmm. called something different back then. And the search committee, because of some of the background I had done in student affairs, seemed to think that maybe I could help that process. It was a fascinating two and a half years there. My mentor was uh, Donnell Reese Taha. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Donnell, longtime figure in Kansas. And Became a federal judge. A federal judge. In mm-hmm. fact, she was the 10th Circuit Court, Court of Appeals, Appeals. Chief yeah. Justice. Yeah. And I still keep in so touch. So she with worked her. at KU as an administrator. But she, at some juncture, mm-hmm. you moved, you transitioned to the athletic department. Why don't you just describe what you're doing right now and what you've done for these years? Sure. So that began 37, well, technically 39 years ago. My role today is to work with our 500 student athletes that come to the University of Kansas, that represent us at KU, to 
fulfill the promise that our coaches make to them and their families when they go recruiting in the living room. So they go in the living rooms in front of Aunt Bess or Grandma or Uncle Steve or somebody, and they said, if you come to Kansas, we will give you every opportunity to be successful in athletics and in academics. So the student makes the choice. They come to Kansas. The coaches deal with the athletics part, and then they hand the rest of the responsibility to us. Uh, so so you're talking about counseling, degree, degree counseling, maybe tutoring, different services? All the above. All the above. So basically anything, it's... Um, it's holding the hand figuratively from the day that they step onto our campus until the day that we watch them walk down the hill on graduation Sunday in the middle of May. Now, all students at the University of Kansas would have access to counseling and, and, and academic assistance. There's, it's part of the package about being a student. They do. But you have a specialized effort in the athletic department. We do. And why is that? Just the stress, the additional stresses that the students are under? I mean, come on. When you're playing basketball, you're playing basketball, hmm. you know? Well, the, the, the stresses are a lot of it. There's no doubt about that. The, the, I would say the difference of the shop that I run and my staff, I have a fabulous staff that does this alongside me, and folks who do similar things on campus is, is for us, there's no room to fail. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't failures. There Bill are Self wants his power forward to be academically eligible, correct? Right. Every day, every yeah. day. And it is our role to make sure that the student is fulfilling their responsibilities every day to a point that they can continue to be eligible and participate in athletics. Now, side by side, the cool part about this is there are some of our students, well, I should say, of our 450, 500, we have, we have 10% that are just the smartest young people that I've ever encountered. <clears throat> and in many, you just stay out of their way. They'll be fine, right? <clears throat> There's maybe 10% that come to us that are admitted to KU because they've, they've fulfilled the qualifications, but they've come from school systems and sometimes families, back to our earlier discussion about children, mm -hmm. that are horrific, almost indescribable. People have wanted a national policy on this, but I think the college athletes these days can go out and make money with their likeness and image, uh, something that used to be uh, not allowed by the NCAA. So I could go out and if I'm the, uh, you know, I, I barely play uh, tight end on the KU football team. I can go out and have my pictures taken and, and help some guy sell used cars, right? Yes. And so what, what do you think about that? And what would you think about a national policy that kind of brings some regulatory direction to that? We are just seeing the impact that this name, image, and likeness uh, thing is emerging. And I won't quote our head basketball coach because he said it much better than I did. But this is my perspective. Mm -hmm. This is a disaster, mm -hmm. a disaster. It is well intended to be able to reward students that had no avenues for income in the past. I get all those things, but the lack of guidelines and the villain on this is the NCAA. Mm -hmm. I personally do not believe that the government has any place in this whatsoever. Okay. NCAA should take care of its own business. Take care of its own business. Okay. And in some cases, you know, private enterprise is going to figure this out one way or the other. But uh, it's, it's out of control. All right. Let's go to the lightning round of our interview now. And uh, taxes. Federal taxes too high, too low, just right. Uh, I think they're imbalanced. Okay. Can, and I'm not here to Not everybody's it. paying their fair share, you mean? Uh, that'd be one way to put it, yes. Yeah. Healthcare, we, you know, we can, the, the ACA has allowed states to expand uh, Medicaid. Kansas has chosen not to. Mistake? 
or good idea? Ridiculously stupid. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's hundreds of millions of dollars that could have gone into healthcare. Sitting in on the table. The years. Finally, you're, the incumbent here running for re-election is U.S. Senator Jerry Moran. He's been around. I think he's a senior statesman in the federal delegation from Kansas. He was in the House and now in the Senate. But what do you think generally about his uh, service to the state political ideas? I've never had the pleasure of meeting Senator Moran. I'd like to be able to do that here at some point. Um, in general, as the person I read him to be, he seems like an upstanding character, balanced, moderate, uh, has fabulous intentions. Um, I will offer that I believe some of the decisions that he has made, particularly in the last couple of years, I find puzzling at minimum and disturbing at, at most. Uh, I've also resolved that I'm not going to talk specifically about those until such time that perhaps he and I might emerge on the general election ballot here for November. Yeah, you win your uh, your primary here in August, and you can be on the ballot with presumptively him. He does have an opponent in November. One of the things before we get away from here is that I believe in the past the United States Senate candidates have been part of the state fair debates in Hutchison in the fall, which I don't know if you've ever experienced one of those, but they are terrific. <laughs> in part because the crowd can yell at the candidates during the debate and bring their cowbells and sing and wear shirts and have horn, uh, horns, you know, like horn, not horns on their head, but I mean, you know, sounding horns. And uh, it's just a hilarious event. And there is actually some debate to involved. I remember one time where uh, the moderator said, hey, hey, crowd to the crowd, got to just stop for a second. You can't yell so much that the candidates cannot hear the questions. So after I ask the question, you can do whatever you want. Uh, but it was just a, a rousing debate, and you really got to be on your toes. So I do hope you can win the primary and go to the state fair and uh, with the Republican candidate and have a blast at that debate. So Sounds fun. Um, so let's pretend you're making your opening at that debate, and, and just let, let's make a, I'll let you make a pitch here for your candidacy, and then we'll close this out. I've been to the to the state fair. I'm not sure I've been right there for that debate here. Uh, I'm not sure that my statement is any different than what it was before, So, I'll, but I'll say it again. <clears throat> my, my decision to enter this process is not to believe that I am the most knowledgeable about every issue that Kansas needs right now. <clears throat> I am impassioned in my voice that needs to be louder for those that have no voice. And that will be the most consistent thing that comes out of my message, out of me in these next number of months. Continue to be the voice for those, the children, that have little or none themselves. And every time that we talk about a larger issue, we have to circle back and say, what can I do to help one child today? All right, that'll have to do it. Paul Buskirk, a University of Kansas administrator and a candidate for the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. We all at the Kansas Reflector, and I'm sure Mr. Buskirk would affirm this, urge you to go vote on August 2nd. Please do. Thanks for listening. Thank you.